0: Welcome to Crossbridge Community Church. We are so excited that you are here today. We are one church in many locations. So whether you've gathered uh, at our Peru campus, our Morris campus, our online campus, wherever you are, or if you're a part of our Ottawa campus, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, I'm excited. uh, Whenever we get together, whenever we get to worship, to be inspired in our faith, uh, to learn how to grow closer to Jesus and to worship God together, um, I get excited. So thank you for being here today. And I'm also excited to share with you as we continue on in this series, the Explore God series, where we're asking these big questions of life that we all should wrestle with at one time or another. So the the topic and the task that I've been given to talk to you today about uh, is this question, is the Bible reliable? And as I was thinking about how to prepare for this and how to give this message this week, I realized that probably like 95% of our people across our campuses when they hear that question, is the Bible reliable? They're immediately like, "Well, Yes, I believe it is. Alright, moving on, can, can we talk about something else? But as I was preparing for this week, I thought, you know what, even if you believe the Bible is reliable, I think this is a great moment for you to just hit the pause button and to maybe revisit this question, revisit your, your views and your beliefs about the Bible, because oftentimes we might think the Bible is important yet that actually doesn't roll over into how we actually live our life and the practices of what we do in our life. So I think this is a great, important question um, for all of us to explore today, and I'm excited to jump into it because I think— at one point or another, all of us have questions or doubts about, about the Bible. And maybe that's a great place to start today, is to ask you the question. Have you ever struggled with something you've read in the Bible? Whether you struggle to understand it, why, why is this even in here? Or whether you struggle when you read it and you say, I'm not sure I actually even believe that, I might disagree. Have you ever had any doubts or struggles? I remember one time, I was 20 years old, I wasn't a youth pastor yet, but I, I was leading a youth group, and uh, we had a high school boys Bible study, and I let these high school boys choose the top of the Bible study. It's a very dangerous thing to do, Um, but I let them do it, and and we sat around in the living room, and I said, all right guys, what are we talking about today? One of them looked at me and said, Galen, I want to know your thoughts on 2 Kings 2.22. I said, okay, well, I don't, I don't know what that is. Let's look at it together. And it's a story of Elisha the prophet. And one day he's walking down the street and these kids come out and begin to make fun of him. They're like, baldy, 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 baldy. And they're making fun of him. And so the Bible says he curses them. Two bears come out of the woods and eat 42 children and then disappear. And that's the end of the story. And we read this story together. And I'm like, oh, gosh, what do I do with this? What do I say to these boys? I'm confused. And so truthfully, what I said was, hey, would you give me a week to study, to try to figure out why, and to explore, to figure out why this is in Scripture? Are we good with that? And they actually said yes. And then I fed them squirrel and told them it was chicken and sent them on their way. Yes, I grew up in rural Kansas. That was a thing. Um, whatever. But I remember we had this difficulty of, what do we do with this? So how about you? At every location, if you don't mind, all of our campuses, just raise your hand if you'd say, at one point or another, I've read something that I've struggled to understand or struggled to know if I believe it. Have you ever been there before? Raise your hands. And I would guess at all of our campuses, there's a great number of us that have struggled with these different things. So I think it's good to explore, uh, is the Bible actually reliable? And I think that there's a lot of good, smart, intelligent people that really, when they look at the structure of the Bible to say, how does this even all hold together? The Bible is actually made up of 66 different individual books that have been put together into the collection that we know as the Bible today. And the Bible is written over 1600 years by 40 different authors, and in fact, even in three different languages. So a lot of people, when they look at that, they say, I not only struggle with the culture of the ancient Near East of the Bible, so I don't understand it, I struggle with Judaism and understanding what these people were even thought they were doing when they were writing this, but I struggle with even, how does this hold together? It doesn't even seem to be one story, and there's so many different kinds of literature even in it, poetry, wisdom, uh, prophetic literature, love songs, how is this even one book, how is this even one story as it holds together? And I'm here to tell you today that I 100% truly believe the Bible is reliable. And more than that, I think it can be absolutely transformational uh, in our life as well as we, as we read it, as we explore, and as we experience God within it. And I think for me, one of the reasons that it shows uh, me I think that the Bible is reliable is the uh, aspect of prophecy within the Bible. And if you're new to church, you may not know what prophecy is. Think of it this way. God tells somebody to say to other people, this is going to happen. And then whether it's that day or that year, or many, many years later, it actually does happen. Think of it this way, Uh, you're in church today, you've gathered, you're worshiping with us and after this, you're very, very hungry. So you go to Culver's and you eat a meal and you go home, you go about your day. But later tonight, you get on Facebook because you got nothing better to do and everyone's sharing this post and it's breaking news and what is happening? And come to find out that they just found a book written by a lady named Betty 400 years ago that says today on February whatever, 2019, you, calls you by name, first name, last name, Name, would go to Culver's, eat a butter burger, cheese curds, and double marshmallow frozen custard because it's amazing, and it would happen today. And you read that and you're like, oh, mind blown. This actually did happen to me today. God told her it would happen. She prophesied that it would happen, and to today it was fulfilled. Now, it's obviously a ridiculous example, but here's why I say that. In Scripture, there are easily over 1,000 times, 1,000 times, where God says, this is going to happen, tell the people. And then it does actually happen 300 times just about Jesus himself. Here's some examples for you. Uh, The first one probably most familiar is from the book of Isaiah 714. The prophecy is this. It says a virgin will give birth to a son who will be called God with us, Emmanuel. And it's fulfilled in Luke chapter 1. An angel tells the Virgin Mary she's going to have a son and she's to name him uh, Jesus, which means God saves and the people will call him Emmanuel. God with us. Prophecy in Micah 5:2 says, "A ruler will be born in Bethlehem, but his origins are from old. What does that even mean? But then you read uh, in Matthew 2 and it says, we read Jesus who is God who was with God the Father in the beginning is born in Bethlehem, it's fulfilled. Hosea 11 says, God's son will go to Egypt and come out of it. Then in uh, Matthew chapter 2, we read about Mary and Joseph fleeing to Egypt with Jesus and then coming out of it. 300 times about Jesus and all of scripture, over 1,800 prophecies from beginning to end have been fulfilled. And so for me, when I look at the evidence of 66 different books, 1,600 years, how does this hold together? You see one grand, beautiful narrative all throughout. I think it's one dynamic, divine love story of God revealing himself to us, saying, this is my plan. It's a rescue mission to restore and redeem all of creation, all of humanity, and to bring them back into right relationship with me. I'm both inside the story, working in and through people, but outside the story showing this long story of my love and for me I feel like that helps it hold together when I can see the one constant consistent narrative of what God is doing in the world and I I thought about today and I thought too you know many people when they hear a message on the Bible they'll probably want to talk about the specific issue that's on their mind a specific issue that they disagree with or specific issue that says that doesn't seem right in what I know in the world but because they question one issue here's what they do They close their Bible, they put it away, and they never read it again because they're stuck on one thing. And if that's you today, I'm not going to speak specifically to an issue that uh, that you're probably upset with. And to be honest, that is why we have our discussion groups. That is why we have our small groups. Most of the time, those issues are best discussed in community. Because when we sit down together with a cup of coffee and begin to share our honest opinions, that's actually when we grow in our faith probably the most. Rather than hearing some person say one thing that you might disagree with and then you write it off forever. Because today, I think maybe the main goal for most of us is to move from questioning or criticism of the Bible, or even apathy, you just don't care about it, to then exploration. If you're confused about something, go explore. Why is that in there? Why does it say what it says? I'm going to try to figure it out. To exploration, but not only that, but then experience. And say, God, I want to experience you in your scriptures and in your word. I think of it this way uh when uh we have one daughter uh, her name's Lillian and when she was born uh, obviously I want to be a good dad to her I want to share uh any wisdom that I might have with her and I want her to experience the best things of life all of the amazing joyful things that God has given us so even when she's like 2 weeks old I asked my wife Justine I'm like hey uh can we give her ice cream yet because like that is a beautiful joyful thing that God has given us that we should share with other people it's amazing can can I give her ice cream yet? And, and my wife's like, no, she's two weeks old. You, you can't do that. How do you not know that? And I was like, I don't know. But I remember even when she was young, I was like, Lillian, one day you will get ice cream. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to be amazing. See, when I grew up in Kansas, we made homemade ice cream. This is how we would do it. we put Oreos in. we put chocolate in. I would explain to her and she would just look at me and wah, and cry because she was a baby who was like three weeks old. She didn't understand, and, and but I tried to explain it to her. And I remember even as she got older, I would eat it in front of her, and there were times where she'd reach out her hand and like grab the cold spoon and the cold ice cream, and she'd be like, oh, I don't want anything to do with that. And she, one time, she literally even just pushed the ice cream away, and I was like, ah, but you don't understand. You haven't experienced it. And then one day, uh, it finally happened. She was old enough. We got some ice cream on the spoon, and I'd go, Lillian, today's the day. And I started to get close to her, and she was like, ah, I don't know about this. I haven't had good experience. Yet with it, but then she chomped down on it. She goes, oh. and when she did, her face went, Oh, because it was cold. But then heaven's gates opened, the glory of the light of the Lord shone upon her face. She smiled from ear to ear and she was like, Oh, ice cream, this is amazing. And she actually experienced it for herself. And I tell you that ridiculous story to say this: if you're stuck in your questions, you'll never experience the God who reveals himself in scripture. If you leave the Bible on the shelf and never open it, you never give God the chance that he wants to use to speak to you through his spirit, through the scriptures, and reveal what it is that he wants to say to you. And you can begin to experience God for yourself. And I love this image of eating something. It reminded me this week of Ezekiel the prophet. And I want to share with you from chapter 3. Again, God gave Ezekiel a message to share with the people, but he did it in a unique way. This is Ezekiel writing in in Ezekiel 3. God, or he told me, Son of man, eat what you see. Eat this book. Then go and speak to the family of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat, saying, Son of man, eat this book that I'm giving you, and make a full meal of it. So I ate it, and it tasted so good, just like honey. Then he said, Son of man, get all these words that I am giving to you inside of you. Listen to them obediently, and make them your own. See, I believe when we read Scripture, God reveals himself in it. Maybe it's the same stories we've always known or heard, but it actually becomes a part of who we are. If we let these words sink deep into our soul then God's word can become a constant, consistent, concrete foundation where we know who we are, we know why we're living and God can give us the confident assurance of who we are and how we live life as we follow him because we've spent time with him and his word and he can reveal that to us if we eat the book, if we experience it and we let it become a part of who we are. You know, I also think it's interesting, uh, being a youth pastor, I do this with students a lot, but honestly, young adults and adults too that uh, find their way into my office or call me and we have a conversation on the phone and they begin to express some of life's biggest questions and they say, "I'm, I'm really struggling with this. And in my mind, I think all of life's biggest questions really come down to three different categories, identity, belonging, and purpose. Identity is questions of who am I, why am I here, who who do I identify with, am I defined by what I do, am I defined by what I've done in my past, and we have questions of belonging, who are the people that are going to be there for me? Who accepts me and loves me just as I am with all of my flaws? Who can I turn to? Who can I run to when I need somebody? And finally, purpose. What am I here for? What am I supposed to do with my life? What am I going to do in my life that is actually going to make my life meaningful? And most questions come back to these categories. And what happens is we look for answers with other people, which is great. Uh, We might Google answers and we might try to look inside of ourselves. I don't even know what that means, but it's popular on TV, right? Right now, I'm not sure what that means, but we look for answers in so many different places, yet we never turn to the God who has already given us some answers. Again, as I was thinking about this thought and idea this week, I was actually sitting on the couch. Uh, It was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, and my daughter was sitting there with me, and it was snack time for her, and she goes, Cracker? And I don't know how she can say cracker. Um, she actually started saying cracker before she could even say milk, which I don't know. She loves crackers, so we buy her a ton of goldfish, whatever. And so she's sitting next to me. She goes, cracker. And I was like, you hungry? She goes, yeah. And I go, all right, go get your cracker. And so she gets up off the couch, and she runs. And she, she's super fast now. She's a year and a half. I know she's going to get faster as she gets older, but I feel like she's fast already. And so she takes off running. But then I look over, and her, her goldfish, her crackers, are actually already in a cup right beside me. And so I grab them, and I begin to chase after her. And she's going cracker. Cracker, cracker! As she's running through the house, and it's, I'm sure it's a comical scene. I'm right behind her, saying, "Cracker, eat the crackers!" Just chasing her all over the place. We go through the kitchen. We run around the dining room table. She runs into the playroom, and I'm like, "Lillian, cracker!" And finally, I just stand in the doorway of the playroom because it's the only way in or out. And so she makes a circle, and she comes back to me, and she goes, "Cracker!" And I go, "Cracker!" And she goes, oh, "Cracker!" And she gets super excited, uh, and she eats it. And I say that to say this. Sometimes we look for answers everywhere else in our world. Instead of maybe turning to the thing... Where God has said, I have already revealed myself. I have already given you some answers. And even if it's not specific for you, I can use my stories to reveal what it is that I want to say to you here and now in the moment, the situation, and the circumstance that you are facing. Would you simply be open to turn around and to look at what I have already given you and trust that I can speak to you and speak to what I have given you. And I think just briefly on those three things, when we question our identity, we read in Ephesians chapter one, all of these things. Your identity is you are blessed you are one with God, you are loved, you have been set free, you are forgiven, and you are without fault in God's eyes. When it comes to questions of belonging, you are a part of Jesus's family, 1 Corinthians 12. You have been adopted into that family, Ephesians 1. You have brothers and sisters who care for you, Hebrews 13. You have a gift that is supposed to be used to serve the family and serve the world, 1 Corinthians 12. Questions of purpose, you're created to love God, Matthew 22. You're created to love others, Mark 12. You're created to love, care for, and steward all of creation, Genesis 1. You've been created to love the poor and the outcast, Matthew 25. You're created to do good works, Ephesians chapter 2. God has so much to say if we could simply turn and give him the time and space in our life to seek out what his answers to us might be. And I want to share with you one verse, and maybe the final thought I would give you today is this. I think the Bible is reliable because when we read it, we somehow know at a deeper level that this story that we're reading is actually our story as well. And it's incredibly useful for the life that we live now. Even 2,000 years later, it, it can be useful for us. Let me read to this to you. It's from 2 Timothy 3.16. And it says this, All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true, and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare us and equip his people to do every good work. I'm going to read to you from another translation. and I like the way that it words it. And I, and I want you to hear this. Maybe if you, if you weren't paying attention to the last one, hear this one. It says, There's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way of salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every part of scripture is god-breathed and it's useful for one way or another showing us what is true exposing our rebellion correcting our mistakes and training us to live in God's way. When we read it, God, again, in his spirit, makes it come alive to us in the here and now and today. It's not just stories of people that lived a long time ago, but it can become our story as well. I think if you're here today and you'd say, if you've ever wondered the question, could God actually really use me? Honestly, if God knew what I did in my past, I don't think he would choose me. Or if God knew my deficiencies, I don't think there is any way that he would use me to be his chosen people, to, to love other people. Why would God use me? But again, if you constantly, consistently, faithfully read the scriptures, then you begin to read about a guy named Moses. And Moses was a murderer. He had a past. And he also had a stuttering problem. He could barely even talk. But what does God do? God chooses him and says, Moses, this is what I want you to do. He gave him his brother to help speak for him. And God used Moses to set his people free from slavery and oppression after years and years and years. And to bring them out of that, to crush God's enemies in the Red Sea and to bring them into a new and wonderful promised land. who did he use to do it? A stuttering murderer. And you read that story and you say, man, could this actually be my story too? If God could use him, could he use me too? In the New Testament, God takes another murderer and turns him into a missionary. Could this be my story? Or maybe you're here today and you said at some time in your life You feel like god has called you to do something and you were obedient and you said yes Maybe it was to change job. Maybe it's to change vocation Maybe it was to love someone specifically and you felt like god was doing it But to be honest you're here today and you say god, where are you in the midst of that? I feel like i've been faithful, but where are you? I don't see you showing up in the midst of this context But again, you continually faithfully read you read joshua and Jericho they're supposed to conquer Jericho God says walk around the city so Joshua gets his people they walk around the city and guess what happens nothing the people inside the city I could imagine making fun of them you think you're going to defeat us by walking in a circle that's great and so Joshua goes to bed he gets up the next day he does it again nothing happens goes to bed gets up the next day does it again nothing happens day after day after day Finally, day seven, he does it again, and they march around seven times. The walls of the city collapse. God gets the victory, and the people celebrate together. And you read that story, and you say, God, I'm I'm not on day seven yet. Maybe I'm on day four. But if you were faithful to Joshua, maybe you could be faithful to me too. I'll continue to do what you've called me to do. And all of a sudden, the story becomes your story. Maybe you're here and you've been in church your whole life and you've done what is good. You've done what is right. You've served over here. You've participated in what the church has done over here. Uh, you give faithfully. You're doing everything you know to do to follow Jesus. But there's something in your life that is a secret. Some, some area of your life where you've sinned, but you feel like because you're seen as this awesome, respectable person, you can't share it with anyone because then they would view you differently. And again, well, if you grew up in church, you already know the story. But if you continually faithfully read the story, you find David, who was brought from humble beginnings, made a man after God's own heart, elevated as king. He is. Everyone looks to him. He is the, the person of a man that we should all strive to become. But then he gets a little distracted, commits adultery, has a baby with another woman who's already married, tries to commit murder to cover it up. And then you find and you read in Psalm 53, Oh God, forgive me. Give me a clean heart. Give me a pure heart. Make me new. Forgive me. Maybe you say, this story isn't just David's story. This story is my story. I need to confess. I need to get it out on the table. I need to ask God to make this thing right. And story after story after story, maybe for me, uh, maybe the biggest thing I think, sometimes God calls us to amazing big things. Yet we don't have the foundation of Scripture into our hearts, so we let our fear, our worry, our anxiety to say, no, God, I I don't feel like I can do that. But if we are consistently reading the Scriptures, then we read about Esther, who takes a huge step of faith. She appears in front of the king when she wasn't summoned, which should have gotten her killed, but she felt like she needed to do it. Or you read about the disciples, and Jesus says, follow me. And you're a fisherman, but they leave their vocation, they leave their job to follow this nomad teacher around. Yet because Esther did what she did, the entire Jewish nation is saved. And because the disciples did what they did, they witnessed the miracles of Jesus. And they founded the church with God's spirit as he wanted them to do. And you say, maybe this story can become my story. You hear Jesus' teachings. They're not just true 2,000 years ago. But we have work to do in his teachings here today. And finally, I would say this. You read Paul. And Paul says Jesus in his story, his death, his burial, the three days in the tomb, his resurrection, his ascension with God, the spirit with us now, the life that gives, it's not something 2,000 years old. This story doesn't end at 100 AD at the end of the authorship. The story extends and expands into today as well. Jesus' story should be your story. When Jesus goes into the tomb, we die to ourselves. We take on new life with God, the forgiveness of sin. And Paul says, God made him who knew no sin to become our sin. So why? So that we could be made right with God. We would experience the righteousness of God and the loving relationship with him. We are made new. The narrative of the entire scriptures from slavery to freedom to lost to found to death to resurrection can be our story too. when we hear these things, we hear this whisper that says, this is true. This is right. I want to hope. I want that to be my life. And that whisper is God's spirit saying, say yes to me. Say yes to life with me. Say yes to following me. So again, this story can be your story again today, extended. And the story isn't over. If you look at the Bible, it tells of the very, very end. And we're not there yet. We're like right here. It's almost there. And revelation and heaven fully coming to earth has not happened yet. So you actually get a part to play in the story too. But the only way you can do that is when you find yourself consistently sitting in God's presence saying, God, talk to me through your scriptures. May your spirit lead me and guide me in the choices that I have to make today and show me the person that you want me to become. And today, I, I, I'm really kind of tempted to end the message right here, but um, here's what I think happens. We hear this, and we all know at the end of the day, man, I really should probably read my Bible more. The things I don't understand, I really should explore them more, and I, I should experience God more in the Scriptures. But what does it take? It takes intentional, intentionality and discipline. It says, God, I'm going to sit with you in the quiet moments of my life. The quiet moments of your life is where you're shaped and formed maybe the most and it reveals what is important to you. It reveals what your priorities are. But if I ask you the question, is the Bible reliable? Is it important to you? And you say yes. Your priority is not proven by your mouth. Your priority is proven By your practices. So this week, what would it look like to intentionally set some time apart to say, God, I'm here, I'm open, I'm willing to experience you. And let me tell you, every single time you open the Bible, God isn't going to show you all of heaven and what he wants to do in the world. It may be dry sometimes. But if you consistently do it, God will make that the foundation of your heart. So you can always follow him, have a settled assurance that God can give you his peace. And when you get bad news from the doctor, it gives you a hope that says, my hope isn't here. My hope isn't there. So you do not have to be shaken. You don't have to be jealous of the person with success or status because you know, at the end of the day, that's not fulfilling anyway. And what's fulfilling is loving God and loving his family. You get the truth of foundation into your heart. It's the best way to live life, but you can only do that when you sit in the scriptures with God. And so just a moment, your campus pastors are going to lead you into what does this look like for you? What is your response? What is your next step? And today we ask the question, is the Bible reliable? But let me then turn the question to you. Is the Bible reliable? You tell me. Move from questioning and criticism to exploration. Move from apathy to experiencing God. Do it with intentionality and discipline and let God's story become your story. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for today thank you for this beautiful love story that is the world that we live in. God, I pray that again you would make it come alive to us as this week and this month and this year we continually pour ourselves and sit with you in the scriptures. God, make it come alive again. Show us who we are and who you are calling us to be and that you walk with us through all of life by what you say to us in your scriptures as we read them together and individually as well. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.